If you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 4. If you don't, I just encourage you to grab the pew Bible that's there uh, beneath you. Matthew chapter 4. Thank you, Levi. Matthew chapter 4. Throw your eyes on verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Look now at verse 23 of the same chapter. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem to Judea and from beyond to the Jor- and beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds... He went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and Utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In our Sunday evening sermon series, we're going to be going through the Beatitudes. And tonight, I want to just give you a little bit of an introduction to them. So what are the Beatitudes about? Well, you can't understand a a particular text unless you understand its broader context and even its canonical context and its redemptive historical context, I would argue. So the first thing you need to know is that this text is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the most famous messages that Jesus delivered, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It's also perhaps one of the most daunting uh, to read and seek to apply, and it's also quite misunderstood. So what do we make of these? Well, I think we need to think about the Sermon on the Mount first and understand the Sermon on the Mount as the Beatitudes are an introduction to it. So first of all, I want you to think about the background for the Sermon on the Mount. And I think the first thing you need to think about is that God has always longed for his people to live underneath his rule. Think about the garden. What was that? God creating man to live in his place, underneath his rule. And what did man do? Man rebelled. Think about the immediate context. Think about the nation of Israel. What did God desire for Israel? For Israel to be his people living in his place, underneath his rule. And what did Israel do? Israel rebelled. 
Think, too, of just the Old Testament promises of a Messiah who will undo all that was lost in the fall. He will accomplish a greater exodus, and he will rule as God's king over God's people. Well, Matthew presents to us, friends, that Jesus has come as the king to rule over God's people. Matthew presents to us that in Jesus' coming, the kingdom has come. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So in Jesus, the kingdom has come. What is the kingdom? The kingdom is the rule and reign of God. The kingdom has come because Christ has come and Christ is the king. So where the king is present, the kingdom is present. That's one way you can understand the kingdom. Another way you can understand the kingdom is the reality that believers right now, you believers, are in the kingdom. Do you know that? You are in the kingdom right now. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And of course we know that the kingdom is also yet to come in its fullness. We make a mistake if we only think of the kingdom of God as something in the future. We make a mistake if we think of the kingdom of God only as something that is now. The kingdom of God came with Christ. The kingdom of God is now, as believers, are underneath the rule of Jesus Christ. He's transferred us out of the power of darkness into the kingdom of his son. We're currently in the kingdom of his son. But the fullness of the kingdom, we all know, is coming in the future. So, number one, what you need to know is that when Jesus comes, the kingdom is coming, in a sense. And Jesus is coming as the king, and Jesus is what? Wanting to rule over his people, which is what God has always wanted. Okay? Now, who's the audience of this sermon? Well, actually, look at 5.1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, the disciples came to him. The disciples are the primary audience of the Sermon on the Mount. The disciples are those who are following and trusting in him. Now, crowds get to listen in. You'll see that if you were to read through Matthew 5 through 7. Crowds get to listen in, but they are not the primary audience for this sermon. The disciples are the primary audience for this sermon. Why is that important? Because if the audience is his disciples, his followers those who believe and trust in him, then this is not a sermon about what it takes to become a Christian. This is not justification by works. This is not do this and you will live. What is it then? Well, here's what Sinclair Ferguson says. What is the message of the Sermon on the Mount? And the Beatitudes, of course, are an introduction to it. What's the message? Sinclair Ferguson says, This is what it means to repent and belong to the kingdom of heaven. The sermon is a description of the lifestyle of those who belong to that kingdom. What an excellent, succinct statement. By the way, anytime you read Sinclair Ferguson, he's worth reading and considering. This sermon, he says, describes what it means to repent and belong to the kingdom of heaven. The sermon is a description of the lifestyle of those who belong to that kingdom. Here's Dan Doriani. The Sermon on the Mount is the word of King Jesus to his people, 
But Jesus' main goal in the sermon is not to declare laws, even for his disciples. Above all, he describes the disciples' way of life underneath his authority. The king has come and he's ruling over his people and he's giving to them his word. This helps us identify wrong approaches to the Sermon on the Mount. So some would look at the Sermon on the Mount and say that it's mere ethical standards that are self-evidently true, common to all religions, and easy to follow. First of all, if you actually read through the Sermon on the Mount, you just got to know whoever is saying that hasn't read through the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is not easy ethical instruction. If you lust after a woman, uh, if you look at a woman with a lust after your heart, you've committed adultery. In what universe is that an easy command to follow? So that's not correct. Others say, you know, really, this is, this is a sermon that's just designed to, to, to bring about the greatest possible guilt in the fewest possible chapters. Uh, and it's really just only law driving us to gospel. It's, it's really just only showing us our need... And there's no gospel there. The whole point is just to bring us to the gospel. I think there's some truth to that, but that's not correct. Neither of those are correct. This sermon is not, obese, is not easy to obey, but neither is this sermon impossible to obey. The reality is those who enter the kingdom of God through faith in the Son of God are empowered by the Spirit of God to live underneath the rule of God. Let me say it again. The reality is that those who enter the kingdom of God through faith in the Son of God are empowered by the Spirit of God to live underneath the rule of God. This sermon presupposes that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. This sermon presupposes that you've been born again. The sermon presupposes that you have the Spirit residing in you and you're following the King as His disciple. This sermon is about life in the kingdom. Life in the not yet, while we're still here fighting against our remaining sin in a hostile world, what does a Christian look like in this world? What is the flavor of his life? That's the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to talk about the most exciting part of it, I think, which is the Beatitudes. So what are the Beatitudes about? The character and blessings of a disciple. The character and and blessings of a disciple. So, what will we see? Here's, here are the teasers. Here are a few teasers for you. What are we going to see when we study the Beatitudes? Well, number one, we're going to see Jesus. Jesus embodies the Beatitudes perfectly. We're going to see Jesus as we look at the Beatitudes. We are also going to see what true blessedness, true happiness, where this comes from. Did you you notice how many times he says blessed are? You know, happy are? Well, we're going to learn about where true blessedness, where true happiness comes from. And what we're going to see is that it is it is is a massive contrast from what the world says blessedness comes from? What does the world say that blessedness comes from? Forgiving yourself? Accepting yourself? Expressing yourself? Discovering yourself? 
not accepting any limitations or authorities outside yourself, including even your own biology. If you feel like a girl, but physiologically you're male, happiness comes from not accepting that burdening, authoritative uh, limitation of your physiology. You need to embrace whatever it is that you feel. That's, that's the world's message of blessedness, but that's, that's not Jesus' message of where blessedness comes from. Further, we're going to see that all Christians are meant to embody all of these characteristics. So it's actually not the case that some Christians are meek and and other Christians are poor in spirit and still others hunger and thirst for righteousness, but they may not be poor in spirit and they may not be meek. No, no, no. This is like the fruit of the Spirit and we are to grow in all of these and all of these are to characterize us. Further, we will see that these characteristics are not natural to us. What do I mean? I mean that these are actually not natural character traits or dispositions. You may think that you know a non-believer who is meek, but you will see, Lord willing, and if that's not brought out by the particular man who preaches it, then we'll give him a helpful critique uh, of that sermon. You will see that The person, the non-believing person who you think is meek actually is not meek in the sense that the Lord Jesus is describing here. He's describing spiritual characteristics that come only by faith in following Jesus Christ. And further, we'll see that Christian character is the key to evangelism. Sometimes we think as individuals and as churches that the key to evangelism is to decrease our differences from the world, to blend in with the world, to make ourselves as much like the world as we can be without defiling our conscience, but let's be as close to them as we can be in order to be effective. That is so misguided. If the salt has lost its savor, what good is it, Jesus says? What the Beatitudes teach us is that it is precisely our difference from the world, our contrast to the world, our absolute light and dark difference in our character, in our goals, in our ambitions, in our priorities, that although are an offense to the unbelieving world at first, are ultimately a draw towards faith in Christ. So we'll see that true effectiveness in evangelism comes from robust Christian character, individually and corporately, not being in any way similar to the world. And then we will also see that Christians are entirely different from non-Christians. We are entirely different in the character traits that we value. The world values independence, Rugged individualism, expressive individualism, mastery of life. How about that old Invictus poem? It was on the the back of my OTS, you know, spirit of a warrior thing uh, in training. And that poem ends with, I am the master of my fate, the captain of my soul. I can't stand that poem because it's such garbage. I am not the master of my fate. 
I am not the captain of my soul. Christians don't value rugged individualism, independence, uh, expressive individualism, being the master and commander of your life. Christians value humility, forgiveness, mercy, purity of heart. A Savior who is gentle and lowly and who makes us like Himself. So, we're different. We're different in the traits that we value. We're also different in what we live for. Just ask yourself, what does the world hunger and thirst for? What does the world hunger and thirst for? Wealth, money, status, position, publicity, to be an influencer. What do we hunger and thirst after? Righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So we're different in the traits that we value. We're different in the lives that we live. We're different in the things that we aspire to. We're just different, capital D, different. And so those are some of the things that you're going to see when you come on Sunday nights and hear from our brothers in our congregation as they, one by one, take individual beatitudes and open them up to us by God's grace through the power of the Spirit. So I hope you'll come and be encouraged and encourage our men by your presence for them to share with you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness to us. As we reflected on this morning, and thank you, Lord, for teaching us all that is needed for life and godliness. And we ask that our Sunday evening services would be a sweet time of family, fellowship, and prayer. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.